Looking back, I can see your fingerprints upon my life. Always seeking my best. There were times when your way would make no sense, but as you said, you have never left. You are always good. You are only good. You are always good to me. Though my eyes can't see, help my heart believe. You are always only good. Looking in, I can see my frailty, my sin is great, and my strength is so small. Still you stay, and your mercy shelters me, you hold. my heart believe you are always only good looking up I can see your sympathy I doubt myself and I'm sure of your love lavish grace was poured out at Calvary, securing me for our home above. You are always good. You are only good. You are always good to me. Though my eyes can't see, help my heart believe. Well, praise the Lord. He is good, isn't he? Amen. Well, again, take your Bible. Turn over to the book of Genesis chapter 13. Genesis chapter 13, we're dealing with making a good decision. And last week we uh, kind of 
tabled that and just uh, preached, uh, taught out of Colossians for just a few moments. And uh, so we're kind of back at it again, how to make a, a decision, how to make a decision. And uh, chapter 13, the book of Genesis, beginning in verse 6, we'll read through verse 13. <clears throat> and the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. There was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdsmen of Lot's cattle, and the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelling, uh, dwelled then in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. And if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoah. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan. And Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. Abraham dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Now we know how the story ends. And we understand that decisions were made that ultimately reaped consequences. You don't, you reap what you sow, right? That's just the way it is. And in this particular case, we noted that Lot chose to go his own direction. And when he went that direction, he was, sadly enough, as the Bible says, he was, uh, I think it's interesting how it points here. It says, uh, it says he, um, excuse me, let me find it here. My mind just uh, slipping a little bit. It says that he was in the sea, well, water, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> this is not good. Um, there it is. Yeah, verse 12. I thought it was there. I just looked right over it the first time. Abraham dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain. Notice, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. Well, that's the problem, right? That, that, was, the, that was the beginning of the end, if you will. It seems one would say, well, it was started a lot earlier than that, and it did. I get it. But boy, I'll tell you, when he pitched that tent toward Sodom, it just ex expresses to us what his direction was. And we know that direction is much more important to God than even the destination. We might not be where we're supposed to be, but God's even more concerned about where we're going. And it's important, you know, you find somebody that's had a rough life, maybe they're in the midst of a mess, and you think, wow, how could God be? Nope, God's not really as worried about where they're at at the moment as he is of the direction they're going. And can I tell you, you might not be where you're supposed to be, but the real key is where are you going? What direction are you headed? Which way is your tent pointed, if you will? And boy, that's important because God knows if you're pointed in that direction and you're moving in that direction, you won't be where you're at for long, and that pleases the Lord. Now, <clears throat> we recognize that there's some things in the passage that uh, help us to understand a little bit about decision-making. I mean, obviously, uh, Lot didn't make a real good decision. In the end, it cost him his family. It cost him everything that was near and dear to his heart. And so I thought, well, let's talk a little bit about um, making decisions because really life's about making decisions, right? And so we need to learn to make good decisions. And so uh, we, we asked some questions along the way or we noted some things along the way. 
some things that, would, uh, that we need to do before making a decision. And if we're going to make a good decision or if we're going to make the right decision, there's a couple things we ought to probably do. One, we said we need to recognize the potential dangers. In Lot's case, he didn't do a very good job of that, did he? Matter of fact, we need to consider uh, some, you know, give some thought to the kind of environment that you're exposed yourself and your family to. Consider the kind of people you and yours will come into contact with. Consider the potential for, com- for corruption and the possibility of growing callous towards sin. We said that's all part of recognizing the potential dangers, and that's something that, well, Lot didn't do a very good job of. And so that would be something he could have done that might have helped him make the right decision. So what are we going to talk about tonight? What other things do we need to do um, in order before we make a decision, before we even make a decision? Well, number two, we need to remember how tough it is to remain faithful in the midst of temptation. Before we even make a decision, yes, number one, recognize the potential danger, but number two, remember how tough it is to remain faithful in the midst of temptation. And so I want to look at that just a little bit, and I want to ask a question and kind of go off that question and address three different thoughts tonight. So let's pray. Father, we come to you. We ask for your leadership. I pray you'd fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the privilege it is to pastor Community Baptist Temple, the opportunity that I have, Lord, to stand in this pulpit. I don't take it lightly. I ask your God that you would just fill me with your Holy Ghost, and may I be your mouthpiece. Bless the people of God tonight, and may our hearts be encouraged. May we be stirred, and may we be better for having been here tonight. Again, Lord, we understand that things are going to get busy during the holiday, but Lord, we also realize how important it is that we remain faithful to you. We know that, Father, sickness seems to be creeping back into, uh, the, into our, our lives a little bit, and Lord, help us to stay healthy and strong, and Lord, if we do get sick, help us to recover quickly. Lord, we need you. And we thank you for those that we prayed for earlier and the needs that they represent. But we also know you're the need meter. We're asking you to meet their needs. Tonight, meet our need. Speak to our hearts. Work in our lives tonight, we pray. We'll give to you the glory and the honor in Christ's name. Amen. So remember how tough it is to remain faithful in the midst of temptation. That's something we need to do if we're going to make a decision. Before we even make the decision, we must ask some questions. We must think about some things along the way. Well, I want to ask this question as we think about that thought tonight. How tough is it? You know, remember how tough it is to remain faithful in the midst of temptation. Here's the question. Why is it so tough to remain faithful in the midst of temptation? Why is it so tough? And that's what we want to focus on because sometimes, you know, I don't know that any of us really... Uh, would question that it's tough to remain faithful in, in the face of temptation. You know, in the midst of temptation, we're like, oh boy, it's not easy. So why is it so easy? Why do we struggle so much with it? Why does it seem to, seem to defeat us so many times? Because I think that's important, because that'll help us to realize uh, maybe uh, before we make a decision, we better give some thought to this issue. So let, let's, let's look at it. Well, why is it so tough to remain faithful in the midst of temptation? Well, number one, we simply enjoy our sin. That's why it's so hard to stay faithful in the midst of temptation. We like it. We like our sin. You know, if, if we were honest with ourselves, there's things that we know are wrong, but we do them anyway. <clears throat> you know, we, we, we do. Somebody says, oh, I don't. Oh, well, I don't know. I think the only one that could say that's in heaven right now. You know, the only perfect person's in heaven. And honestly, let's face it, we give in to our temptation sometimes. We allow the flesh to rule and uh, to reign in our lives. And, and you know, say, well, why is that? Well, let me ask you something. If, if I said to you, okay, 
um, I'm going to get the biggest, strongest guy in church. And, and uh, <clears throat> every time, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to have you stand in the front right here. And what we're going to do is we're going to allow him to punch you in the face. You, you good with that? You'd be like, no. Well, why not? Because it hurts. It's painful. I don't like that. That's no good at all. And that's going to have some ramifications. It sure is. But why not let him do it? Because I, I don't want that to happen. That's no fun for me. Wait a second. When it comes to sin, we let it happen then. Because truthfully, what you don't want to happen doesn't happen usually. At least as far as what you do. You control you. You can't control others, but you control you. You say, well, uh, you know, how about when we're tempted to get angry? Do we get angry? You say, well, sometimes I do. It's because you, you, you let her go. Probably want to at that point. Because if you really didn't want to, if you knew it was that bad, if you were really convinced that it was going to be that uh, painful, that hurtful to you and others around you, probably we would go, no, you ain't hitting me like that. But we don't, do we? I'm just saying, I think a lot of times, a lot, not always, I'm not saying it's always, I'm just saying we simply enjoy our sin too much, and as a result of that, it makes it really hard when we're tempted to say no to the flesh. We've got to be honest with ourselves. We've got to be honest. Now, we can blame others. We can blame our circumstances. However, at the most basic level, it's a choice that we make. You know, I, I like, you know, people sometimes, well, you know, the devil made me do it. He made you do it? He made you. He twists your arm. I can see you right now. You're going to say that bad word. Okay, devil. No. No, that's not how it works. <clears throat> Look at James chapter 1, verse 13. James chapter 1, verse 13. Again, we just see some, a passage in Scripture that kind of reinforces what we're talking about and kind of helps us to understand what the truth really is. And notice what it says in James chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. We're going to see that really it's more our responsibility than maybe we'd like to admit at times. It's funny, you know, people come to Christ and then they're like, well, you know what, I just have a hard time because, you know, I, that's an area of weakness in my life. And, you know, uh, uh, it's like, you know, God made me this way and, you know, he knows that this is an area I'm struggling in. So it, are you saying it's okay then that God's accepted it? It's like he made you to be tempted in this area, to, to fall in this area. This is how it is now. The truth is we're new creatures in Christ. So therefore, the, every time we sin now, Having the Holy Spirit in our lives, supposing to be, as the Bible says, walk in the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Therefore, it's always a choice. It's a decision. It's not the devil. It's not God. It's not any, God doesn't understand our sin anymore in that regard. He's like, he understands our sin as we're, 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 we're in a fallen state. He knows that we can't help but sin because that's what our nature is. But we have a divine nature now. So in reality, we don't have to sin. We choose to sin. We allow it to rule our lives. We give in to the flesh. We, we resurrect that old self again that was, that was at one point walking around living the life, but now it died with Jesus Christ and raised to walk in newness of life. And we go back, that new creature, and we dig up the old one and throw him on our shoulders and carry him around. Look what it says in James 1, 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. 
For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man, here it is, is tempted when he is what? Drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Sounds like it's getting pretty personal. It sounds to me like it's more my fault than anybody else's at this point, based on Scripture. And it goes on to say in verse 15, Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So wait a second. So you mean to tell me that when I'm tempted, it's, I'm drawn away of my own lust. Okay, so the temptation comes, I'm drawn away of my lust. Wait a second, that means that there's something about me that's responsible for the direction I now go then. I'm drawn away, or I can be drawn to Christ or drawn away. I can be drawn to sin, or I can be drawn away from sin. I don't know. It seems to me that I make that decision, and then he says, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. So guess what? Guess who's responsible for the outcome then? Guess who's responsible for all of the consequences? It's not the person that promoted the temptation. It's not the person that stood before me or said what they said or did what they did. It's me. Because it's my, as he says here, he says, when I'm tempted, he is drawn away of his own lust. It's not the person's fault, it's my fault. You know what, as Christians, we are very quick to, to do just like the world does. You know, we're big about this. Oh, they got to learn to take responsibility for their actions. They, uh, this world today, nobody wants to take responsibility. Well, Christians, we don't either half the time. Well, Okay, you know, why aren't you in church? Well, the preacher said some things that really bothered me. Oh, I see, it's the preacher's fault. Well, why aren't you in church? Well, you know, that Sunday school teacher never called me up. He called all the other people in the class, but he didn't call me. Oh, you know what? Everybody got a Christmas card but me this year. Oh, I see, so you're not in church because somebody else. It's somebody else's fault. You're not obeying the scriptures according to Hebrews 10.25 because somebody did something that caused you to get bitter and hard-hearted and maybe unforgiving. And as a result of that, well, you, you can't help it, right? Again, we, we pass the buck. We want to blame someone else for our sin. But God makes it pretty clear in James. Every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust. Now, there's no doubt that we have to recognize that as a human being, we've got to be careful we don't become a temptation to others. I know my whole life I had to be very careful. I was very tempting to ladies. It was terrible. And I had to be very careful. I didn't want to show them any kind of attention. <laughs> okay, so maybe I'm not uh, Fabian. I can't believe it's not butter. But anyway, you remember those commercials? <laughs> okay, so I'm not supposed to, but I do. His hair was more beautiful than most women's. But nonetheless, the fact is, is, that, is that we have to be careful. We can't become the portion of temptation. We can't be trying to bring people to anger or trying to get them to be upset or ticked off. We can't do that stuff. But by the same token, if somebody is the one that does that to us as a believer, it's all our fault. Hey, listen, we simply enjoy our sin too much. We like it. feels good to get angry sometimes. Feels good to say a few things we probably shouldn't have said. To get it off my chest. And I deserve to be bitter. Because if you was treated the way I was treated, if something happened to you like it was happening to me, then by all means you would know I have a right to be angry, bitter, and unforgiving. 
Well, you know what? I don't, I don't question that it can take time to work through that process. And there's no doubt that hurt and heartache can take a while to work through. I get all that. And there's no doubt that as human beings, we have to deal with those issues. But to remain in a state like that, at some point, we just have to admit it's because we feel empowered to do so. We feel that we have a right to. And we almost enjoy the right to be that way. <clears throat> so nonetheless, we have to be careful because... Listen, when it comes to making a decision, you better remember how tough it is to remain faithful in the midst of temptation so you can't make a decision that puts you in harm's way because the truth is you enjoy sin a little too much and so do I to put ourselves in that position. We have an inflated view of ourselves. That's another problem. Not only do we enjoy, um, you know, enjoy our sin, but we have this inflated view of ourselves many times. Uh, you say, what, what are you talking about? Well, I'm saying the reasons why it's difficult to remain faithful in the midst of temptation is because we have an inflated view of ourselves. Well, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Now, this is a, a passage that's placed in Scripture. Why? Because it's needed. Everything's there on purpose, right? So obviously the Lord understands, and so does the Apostle Paul, that there's going to be some issues here in our own uh, our own attitude, our own heart. We, we know that in the beginning, Satan over here is sinning. He's, he's prideful and he's arrogant. And as a result of that, he, he's cast down, so to speak. He loses his place or a position there with the Lord. And next thing you know, he takes, uh, the Bible implies a third of the angels with him. There's a problem going on in heaven. There's a mess. Sin has entered the universe. Hold on. That, that thing that we're going to deal with, we're going to see in just a moment, it's a big word that's really not that long of a word, but it's a big word. It's called pride. In 1 Corinthians 10, 12, he says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Boy, we got to be careful with this one. we got to be careful. We start to think that we can stand. We think that we're on top of the world. We believe somehow we've got this all figured out. We can deal with it, he says, take heed lest you fall. Now, research backs all this up, by the way. An editorial accompanying a lengthy report on the research, on some research in uh, psychological science and the public interest, it's, it's, it's a, uh, that's the research. But anyway, it was uh, published in American Psychology uh, Society. It sums it up this way. It says, some if not most, of, excuse me, some, if not most of us, are spinning through life blissfully incompetent because we have such an elevated view of our own abilities. I thought that was interesting. He's, <laughs> some, if not most of us, are spinning through life blissfully incompetent. What's he implying? We somehow... we elevate our view of ourselves to the point where we don't think we need to learn anything else. We don't need to grow. We don't need to dig. We don't have to search. We don't, we're, we're good where we're at. And he says, you are blissfully ignorant. I kind of like it. In one study of nearly a million high school seniors, 70% said they had above average leadership skills. But listen to this. Only 2% felt their leadership skills were below average. Well, wait a second, that, how could 50%, I mean, that's 2% don't believe that, but 70% do? I mean, I mean, we know that it can't be more than 50%, right? 
I mean, we got an inflated view of ourselves here, obviously. Above average leadership skills? Yep, I got above average leadership skills. Really? In your own eyes, right? I doubt they asked their parents that. I doubt they asked even their pastor or their youth leader. I bet they never even asked really anybody other than maybe their closest friends. Hold on. Another study found that 94% of college professors think that they do above-average work. 94%. Well, that's impossible again. Above average, right? Average would be 50, a minimum. I mean, that's the most. I mean, but 94% say, oh, yeah, I do. Oh, oh, you're talking about teaching. Well, that's my game. I'm above average, absolutely. Absolutely above average. Huh. 94% of you, though. In another study, when doctors diagnosed their patients as having pneumonia, predictions made with 88% confidence turned out to be right only 20% of the time. Isn't that something? I'm 88% sure. I'm 88% sure. Only 20% of the time did it ever actually happen. Was it really the case? Again, inflated view of ourselves. Believing you're the smartest kid on the block can have some negative consequences. You're more likely to stick with ideas that clearly don't work and ignore suggestions from others. And that happens all the time, doesn't it? You know, some of the uh, you know, uh, people I appreciate the most in life are those that, let's be honest, it's, it's people unlike me. What I mean by that is, they're willing to make mistakes in order to learn something. To go, I'll tell you what, I can't stand the, the, that phone and the computer thing because, I, I, you know, they're, they're like, oh, you know, kids are so smart today. No, they're not. They just don't care if they mess it up. I'm over here on a computer and I'm freaking out. I don't want to hit the wrong button because I know it's going to either cost me money or time. Some little kids in there going, kink, 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 kink. And they're like, they learn so fast. No, they don't care if they break anything. And you know who the people are that ultimately learn the most in life? Are the ones that are willing to make mistakes. Brother Grimaldi made a statement up here that was really a great statement when he was up here. He said, you know what? I, I don't care if I mess up because I know I can fix it. I know I can fix it. And you know, the truth is most of us could probably fix most of the things we'll mess up, but we're so afraid of making mistakes at times that we're unwilling to stretch ourselves and try something new even. Now, in this particular case, if we're not careful, we can begin to fall into the state of, well, you know what, I know enough, I'm good enough. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm doing better than most. And we get an inflated view of ourselves, and we stop growing, we stop going. Look, I know enough, I'm, I'm probably... I'm, this is perfect, right, for the Word of God, right? I mean, I'm, I know more than most. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I know my Bible. Compared to others, are you kidding me? Oh, how much have you studied it lately? Well, I mean, I know a lot about it. How much have you studied it lately? Well, you know, I, I, I read it. No, but how much have you studied it lately? Well, you know, I mean, I, I, when I was a kid, we were forced to memorize scriptures, and we didn't. No, but I'm asking, what have you done lately? You know what happens? We get an inflated view of ourselves, and it stifles our growth. It keeps us from going forward. So 
why do we so often paint ourselves in a favorable light even when we are confronted with very convincing evidence that we're wrong? Again, partly because we want so much to believe we're right. We don't want to admit we're wrong. We, we just can't do it. I've got to be right, right? I mean, I, I mean I'm, I'm a good person, and I, I know a lot about these issues, and I, I couldn't be wrong. I mean, so I'm definitely not going to admit that I, I could be wrong here. I, I'm sure I'm right. I don't know. I, I see some evidence opposed to it, but, uh, you know. You know what that is? P-R-I-D-E, Pride. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. People are often motivated to reach flattering conclusions about themselves and, and in their place in the world even, uh, the re researchers concluded. This is normal. This happens all the time. Thus, they go on to say, they mold, manage, and massage the feedback the world provides them so that they can construe themselves as lovable and capable people. Isn't that something? This is, I mean, you say, well, I don't believe all that mumbo-jumbo, psycho-babble bull. Okay, don't believe it, but I'm telling you there's truth to it. There is evidence, there's truth to this stuff. And you know what? Christians aren't immune to it. It goes on to say, but they're not fooling the people around them as much as they're fooling themselves. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? So again, we're quick to believe we can handle this. I'm going to make a decision. It's going to put me a little bit closer to sin than I would think, or possibly it might uh, provide me some. Uh, temp it might provide some temptation in the long run. I mean, I may be in a position where I'm not able to attend the local church like I used to, and I won't be in, in, indoctrinated uh, to the degree that I was. I won't be saturated with the truth like I used to be. But I can handle it. I've been going to church a long time. I'm a strong Christian, and I can deal with this. And it won't matter if I miss from time to time. And it, yeah. Okay, inflated egos. You know, we're inflating our own self-worth, our own value. We think we're somebody we're not. Something we're not. Okay. Boy, I tell you what, that decision's going to probably sink you because pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And so before we even make the decision, we need to remember how tough it is to remain faithful in the midst of temptation. Got to remember that. And you know what? It's tough because we simply enjoy our sin. It's tough because at times we have an inflated view of ourselves. And finally, it's tough because we fail to avoid compromising positions. You say, well, give me an example. Okay, let me give you a couple examples. For instance, dating without accountability or chaperones. I don't care. I don't care how old you are. You know, it's funny, you know, we got to be careful with this stuff. I mean, if we want to stay pure, we want to stay clean, then we can't put ourselves in awkward positions. We can't put ourselves in compromising positions, no matter how old we are. We have to be careful. You know, it's easy for us to tell a 14-year-old or 15-year-old or 20-year-old, oh, you should never be alone. You need a six-inch rule, friend. Right? We're good about that one, right? Six inch rule. Uh, they're spread it out. Boys on one side, girls on the other. <laughs> Here we are, you know, we get a little older and all of a sudden it's like, eh, I've been down that road before. I can handle it. Oh, that's right. You have no testosterone running through your veins anymore. 
right? That's right. You gave your man card up. Come on, are you kidding me? I mean, you get where I'm going with this? Okay, we fail to avoid compromising, so we make bad decisions. Why? Because we, we fail to avoid compromising positions. Uh, for instance, how about aimlessly surfing, surfing on social media, a social media site, or possibly a platform of sorts? Just aimlessly doing this. Just spending 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, finally it's an hour. Boop, 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 and we wonder why we run into things we shouldn't see. Why we're tempted to do the wrong things. Again, that, we fail to avoid compromising positions. And when that happens, it makes it extremely hard to remain faithful in the midst of temptation because we're opening up ourselves, right? How about hanging out with the wrong people at the wrong places? You know, I'm always amazed. You know, years ago, you know, when I was growing up, when I was younger, you know, there'd always be the Christian guy who thought he could hang out at a bar and not drink. He could just go there, you know, I don't have to drink. Just hang out, have a good time. Okay. What about abstain from all appearance of evil to start with? But then you turn around and you ask yourself, why would you submit yourself to that kind of temptation? Why would you put yourself in that compromising position? Why would you do that? We're not making, we don't have very good common sense here, and probably they pretty, have a pretty inflated view of themselves too, by the way. So what steps can we take to avoid those compromising positions? Well, first of all, you better remember, and I better remember, that we are just human. We're flesh. We are human and flesh at the very root, right? That, that's important to remember, now, as Christians, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. That is true. And, and He is a power source that eclipses all other aspects of the world if we are yielded to Him. However, we're not always yielded. And so we better remember that we're human, we're flesh. See, we're wicked. According to Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. In Romans 3, 12, it says, they are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. You say, well, that's the lost. Okay, what's so good about you outside of Christ? What's, what's good about me outside of Christ? You say, well, this isn't really good for my self-esteem, preacher. You know, most of us don't need a lot of self-esteem. Most of us need a lot of humility. We need to be humbled more and recognize the goodness and grace of God in our lives. And in doing so, we would be much more grounded and balanced in our lives if we're focusing on Him. Not only are we wicked, but we're weak. We are weak. In Matthew 26, 41, the Bible says, Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know, a lot of times we, we get the idea, well, my flesh is so strong. It's so strong. It draws me to, no, your flesh is weak. That's the problem. It's so weak. can't resist anything. And that's humanity. That's you and me. That's even as a saved, born-again believer. The fact is we are still wicked and we are still weak. Outside of Christ and the indwelling presence of the Holy Ghost in our life, the Word of God that gives us faith and strength and all of those things and builds our faith, the fact is, is that in and of ourselves we are wicked and we are weak. Remember that you are human, that you're flesh. Also remember that the only way to ensure you don't get sick is to avoid the germs. Now listen, it's impossible to do that. 
They're saying right now there's this, uh, they're saying there's this uh, problem. Uh, children are getting this mysterious disease between 5 and 14 right now. It, 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 it's almost like pneumonia. Well, it's, it's, there's really no secret to it. What happened was is that people came, they're, they're saying that people came out of COVID being all sequestered, if you will, all you know, isolated. Their immunities are all down. And now they're getting nailed. Okay, there's no real secret to it. It's that we got to build up our immunities again. But here's the problem. You get around the wrong things, you're going to catch it. You know, you, if you don't get sick, you've got to avoid the germs. And scriptures point out three fundamental safeguards against temptation and against evil. There's three fundamental things. So when we're confronted with temptation, we've got to make a choice at the very moment how we're going to respond. At the very moment of temptation. If we hesitate, instead of immediately bringing that thought into captivity, captivity to the Word of God, to the truth of God's word, if we hesitate at all, the likelihood is, is that we're going to give in and submit to it almost, almost always. That's how it's going to work. If we hesitate to bring that thought into captivity under the word of God, under Christ, we're going to probably yield to the temptation. So the Bible directs us to respond in three different ways. One, he says to, you know it, flee. Flee. And we, have the, we know the example of that one, obviously. Joseph, right? You know, there he is in Potiphar's house and, you know, Potiphar's wife is being extremely flirtatious and Joseph just says, I'm out. He just gets out of, out of Dodge. He don't mess around. He, I mean, he leaves his coat. She's like, she must have been like, oh, I love that. That's such a soft jacket you got on. That's so nice. He's like, woo out of there. It just, it's, she's still holding on to it, man. I mean, he's like, pew, gone, gone. He's fleeing. He is fleeing. In 1 Corinthians 6, 18, the Bible says, Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. 1 Corinthians 10, 14, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. From idolatry. 1 Timothy 6, 11, But thou, O man, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. The temptation of riches. 2 Timothy 2.22, flee also youthful us, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Better flee. Number two, resist. He says resist. James chapter 4, verse 7, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. We know that in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, he says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. So, whom resist steadfast in the faith. Peter points out that our power to resist is rooted in the faith. You know why we're struggling to resist the devil? Because we don't have a lot of the faith. Faith. His faith. Not our faith. Well, I believe I can resist. Well, that's faith in you. That's your faith. But I need that he can resist. And I'm in him. And I'm going to go ahead and saturate myself with him and his truths. 
It's his faith. Notice whom resists steadfast in the faith. The faith of the Lord Jesus Christ in this word. Only as we yield to Christ and his truths can we hope to overcome the flesh and the devil. So when addressing the leaders of Israel, Stephen reminds them of an alarming habit that they had. Here's the alarming habit. Acts 7.51 Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. That was, that's a pretty bad habit to get into. That's a bad habit. We don't want to resist the Holy Spirit. We want to resist the devil. But if we're being honest, sometimes we're resisting the Holy Spirit. So we're specifically told to flee and to resist, but there's an even better way to escape temptation. And here it is as we close. Avoid. You say, what do you mean? Well, Romans 10, uh, 13, 14. It says, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Don't make provision for it. Don't make provision for it. it we, we can't do that. You make provision for it, uh-oh, it's, it's not good. It's not good. So remember how tough it is to remain faithful in the midst of temptation. Remember that. It's tough. But why is it tough? Because we simply enjoy our sin too often. Why is it tough? Because we have an inflated view of ourselves more than we'd like to admit. We think we can handle it. And finally, number three, we fail to avoid compromising positions. And it's basically because we enjoy our sin and we have an inflated view of ourselves. So we put ourselves in a bad spot. Now, remember how effective the tempter is at making bad look initially good. He makes it look so good. Remember Genesis? Boy, that was pretty easy, right? He faked them out big time. He made them think that by eating that fruit, they were going to come away winners. What did they come away? Losers. But that's how good he is at that. I mean, knowledge is always good, right? I mean, get on your phone and learn all you can about the Bible from anybody you possibly can. Right? And that's what most Christians do today. Got a problem? You got a question? Ah, run to the internet. There it is. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know what? I never heard it that way. Oh, that's interesting. It's got to be good, right? Because knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. Okay, Romans 16, 19. For your obedience has come abroad to all men. I am glad, therefore, on your behalf. But yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. We like to learn too many things about things we probably don't need to know anything about. So be careful, because in our flesh it can get to looking pretty good, but when you boil it all down, it adds up to simple disobedience. We complicate life too often by neglecting simple truth. We observe, we evaluate, we contemplate loads of information in order to arrive at a good decision. When most of it's all smoke and mirrors, the truth is found in the simple but powerful Word of God. That's all it is. It's almost like we just can't accept a simple no from God, right? Can't, can't accept a simple no. Got to understand it. You, can't, you don't have a right to tell me not to do that. You don't have a right to tell me where to go or what to do. I need to understand it. So, you know what? I need some more information here. Because I have to make sure that what he's telling me is on the up and up here. Oh, really? You do, huh? Oh, we get in a lot of trouble like that. 
See, you and I may not always understand, as the song said tonight, we may not always understand the reason for God's commands or warnings, but by all means, we need to obey. So when we can come, when we come to the conclusion that God can be trusted, that's a great place to be in our life. Can you do that? When we can, we really don't need to understand it all. That's a great place to be. That's a great place to be. When you know you got God's word on it and you say, I don't quite understand it. Okay, dig into his word and find out what he has to say about it instead of asking everybody else why you think God might be wrong. And then that we couldn't be more safe. We could never be more safe than while we're in the center of God's will. You just can't be. You're never more safe. As I close, I, I, I still remember the Army recruiters. Wow. Man, I'll tell you what. You go in there and sit down and talk to them. and I mean, you are going to have your own apartment. You're going to have money falling out of your pockets. You're going to have all this freedom to do what you want. Man, it's going to be awesome, man. You better hang out with your buddies if you want. You better take college classes for free if you want. You better do all this stuff. It's great. It's the best, man. It's the best. Oh, yeah? Man, I was like, where's it? Let me sign up. Hold on. Before I sign, let me just ask you something. I mean, I started to write my name. I'm going to cross it out real quick. I want you to show me that in writing. What part? Well, you know, the part where I get my own apartment. I'd like to see that in writing. Well, it depends on where you're stationed, how, how big an apartment is. Oh, you mean like one of them big apartments where 60 guys are in the same room? I think I'll just wait. Let me see it in writing. Oh, you mean I get to choose my duty station? Oh, can I see that in writing? All of a sudden, it's all off the table. Why? Because they make it look so good sometimes. Now, again, they're not all like that. Just 99.9% of them. <laughs> Your brother wasn't like that. He, no way. He would never tell, no. <laughs> we had a recruiter in our church for a while. But anyway, uh, but, but, but you know how it goes. You know how the devil is, though? He likes to tell you all this up front. Look how good it's going to be. And you know how it turns out, don't you? In the end, it turns out bad. In the beginning, sometimes it seems pretty good. All I do is I just want to encourage you. Be real careful. Before you ever make a decision, I want you to think about how difficult it is when you're facing that temptation. Don't make a bad decision. Don't put you and your family in a spot where you're going to be confronted with temptation on a consistent basis. You will regret that. Father, we come to you. We thank you for this time together. Lord, again, bless us. We need you. Lord, you're good to us. Now, Father, uh, help us, Lord, just to be very cautious and careful with the decisions we make, realizing and recognizing, Lord, that uh, we're going to have to make decisions. Help us, Lord, to know how to do that. And, and Lord, it's important that we don't, uh, that we realize, Lord, this issue, um, that it's tough to remain faithful in the midst of temptation. And Lord, may we consider that in our lives uh, before we make those decisions. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand.